Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world. When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. My guest today is Jonathan Goldhill. In 2000, Jonathan founded the Goldhill Group. His firm provides business advisory, coaching, consulting, leadership development, and meeting facilitation to owners and leaders in growth-oriented, family-owned, small and medium-sized businesses which pretty well describes a big chunk of the construction industry. I just thought I'd add that thought right there. Johnson's a seasoned professional with extensive background and experience in sales, marketing operations, business management, financial management, and leadership development. His firm guides leaders of companies to increase revenues and profits, improve organizational effectiveness, build better teams, create added enterprise value, and improve the quality of people's personal lives and personal fulfillment. In 2020, Jonathan released an Amazon best-selling book entitled Disruptive Successor, A Guide to Driving Growth in Your Family Business, a book for next-generation leaders of family-run entrepreneurial businesses who have recently been passed the torch of the family business and looking for a virtual coach mentor, providing a roadmap for growth. He also launched his podcast, The Disruptive Successor Show, that airs weekly and features disruptive successors, family businesses, and their advisors, experts, and advocates. Jonathan, welcome to the Softest Steel podcast. Thanks, Dennis. Proud to be here. Good. I'm glad. That means you'll stick around for the entire time we have to talk. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, good. All right. So let's start with kind of the obvious question, at least to me, on two fronts. One, your clientele, Mm -hmm. which I relate to very easily. As you know, I'm in the construction industry. Right. And secondly, this notion of the naming of your book and your podcast, for that matter. Tell us about what it means when you say the disruptive successor. Okay. So, yeah, the disruptive successor is, in my mind, the next generation leader, typically a millennial for me, right? Because they're more coachable than us older guys because they're more interested in learning. They have more hunger. They're more willing to read books and watch tapes, videos, things like that. So they're usually a next generation leader, typically a millennial in a family business in very much unsexy industries, Dennis. So largely I've been serving construction companies, many, many years working with landscape companies, but also a smattering of electrical contractors, plumbing contractors, you know, HVAC contractors. And I guess you'd call these the specialty trades, but also working with manufacturing companies, also working with real estate, property management, service type companies. So I call them unsexy industries because typically family businesses are multi-generation and they're not like the latest tech. They're not an app. They're not an e-commerce company. But I have worked with many different entrepreneurs in many industries. And so if I'm working with an e-commerce startup, 
type company. And I say startup, maybe they only have a half a dozen people, but they're already doing eight figures in revenues. That would be 10 million or more. They're disruptive and they're disruptors. So I opened the disruptive successor to not only just in family businesses, the successor, but also disruptors in industries or entrepreneurs. And so those are my clients. And I wrote that book and started the podcast so that I could refine my audience and my niche from all the other business coaches that are out there. Because when I first started business coaching in 2003, a lot of people didn't know what a business coach was. And I had to use the analogy of a sports coach. I don't use that and haven't used that analogy in 10 years because people know what a business coach is these days. So now the question is, is what type of a business coach are you? Are you an executive coach? Are you a scale-up coach? Are you a you know mid-market coach? You know, what's the system or the platform? So in my book, I developed a playbook that I think is a combination or a cross between EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, otherwise people know the book Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business, and Scaling Up, which was Gazelle's formerly uh, and the Rockefeller Habits. And so everything is a compilation of everything I've learned since I started running or being involved in businesses, graduated business school, and then started coaching, consulting, training, and financing small businesses. That's my that's my story. Yeah. So, because um, when I think of when I when I first heard the word disruptors, uh, you know, you immediately think about people who uh, who try to turn things upside down in in an industry or a market, uh, try to do things in a, in a dramatically different way. Uh, sure. Either you know, in in some or all regards, as far as their their business, their business model. Um, but you so you but you work with a lot of family businesses, so disruption could could really almost be in the form of of either. Uh, moving too fast, yes, uh, or standing too still, uh, as uh, in the succession process. Yeah, so I think what's disruptive about the disruptive successors is, let's say, the introduction of technology that wasn't used before. Um, you know, typically older folks are slower to adapt the newer technologies. There's so many apps that you can use to run your business um, in the construction industry that could run from GPS tracking, uh, which is, you know, something that's been around a long time, but also uh, time clocks, also uh, using scheduling softwares and using softwares to help you manage your entire enterprise, which used to be called enterprise resource planning and was typically thought of as in the manufacturing field. But you know, you you and I see these types of softwares all the time in, in verticals, um, whatever they are, and they're specific to that vertical, so they're very defined. So just introducing that alone is disruptive usually to the old guard. But what's also disruptive is, let's say the older generation has not only someone who may be thinking about exiting or transitioning, but they have other employees that maybe first five, 10 employees that have been there 30 years. And you've now got a challenge of how do you deal with someone who's not going to adapt to the new systems, right? Like I introduced software systems for managing your meetings and your business and managing accountability and scorecards and like Unless people were doing that on whiteboards with, you know, uh, grease uh, pens, mm -hmm. like 
it's not happening for a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. And or there, so asking older people to get on board with this stuff is somewhat disruptive. And and then if you're going to grow, because if you're a family business and you're wanting to bring more family members in, you have to expand the base of the company. And that means adding more people. And if you're adding more people, again, that means better systems. It means some people might be leaving. Um, you know, adding things like just values and purpose statements and more culture-focused activities, changing the leadership from autocratic command and control to more democratic or, you know, where everyone has clear accountabilities and are is a bit more self-managing. You know, I mean, we all know millennials, they want to be more in charge of their lives and, and their careers. Mm -hmm. And so they're not willing to work for the man like we were as boomers. So all of these things, Dennis, are somewhat disruptive to people. And so I think that there's help that's needed to bridge the gap or hold the hands, if you will, of the two generations and get them to come to the table communicating around their vision, their goals, the transition, the strategy. Um, and so that that's what I'm talking about in my book. Mm -hmm. And I'm giving them a, a scale up playbook uh, along with some of the psychological, like how to have difficult conversations with people and how to tell your father I'm ready to take over, like, mm -hmm. you know, put me in, coach. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, you know that I, I a lot of my my work and my experiences in the construction industry. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that, that in particular drew me to you as a, as a guest for the podcast. Um, but I'm also the guy that talks about the fact that at the end of the day, uh, every, every business enterprise uh, has, have, has two things in common. One, if they're a going concern, they have customers. Right. Uh, and customers are people. Uh, and they also have the folks that work for the company that serve those customers. And if you put those two things together, you have in every, virtually every industry, um, the common notion that uh, we're all in a business of serving customers. Yep. Uh, and uh, so it, with that thought in mind, um, do, do you see any, do you see any, and looking at, at the different segments that you, that you work in, do you see any discernible differences in, in the nature of the, the process of transition or succession uh, that has anything to do with a, the, a particular industry or does, does it, do industries have something that was, that is differentiating about them when you deal with succession or are they all the same in the end of the day? You know, this is a good question. And, and it's, there's some, um, there's other layers in that question. So, um, so some businesses, the relationships maybe, let's just say, are with the old man. And, you know, their relationship is largely over, let's say, golf or going on a, a trip together. And then they talk for a few minutes about business. And, and now how do you transition that book of business to the next generation? You know, um, maybe they know the son or daughter and they've that person's come along, you know, along the way. But so... I don't think it's really different by industry, but I think that if you think in terms of revenue is in relationships and that the largest asset in almost any business on the balance sheet, which is not on the balance sheet, actually, is people. 
-hmm. And so, so how do you transition the relationships of a, of a general manager who's going to be passed over by a 29 year old young man who's, Mm -hmm. you know, the heir to the uh, ownership or the throne of the business Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. without that GM feeling maybe like their feelings weren't considered. So uh, I, I think that this requires someone who's skilled in, in communication and in psychology and an emotional intelligence. Everything that you talk about, I think, in terms of soft skills is what needs to be applied here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of construction companies will, and family businesses in general, will never transfer to the next generation. And that's oftentimes because there's unspoken conversations that that either should have been had or need to be had, or they just couldn't get on the same page. Mm-hmm. You know, when you uh, begin a relationship as as uh, as a consultant, as a coach, um, uh, what 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 is what precipitates the beginning? Uh, is it all hell broke loose? Uh, the father got really uh, father got really sick, and we we finally woke up to the fact that we got to make sure we do something to keep the doors open and keep paychecks flowing. What what are the what are the triggers for that uh, that, yeah. that transition or succession from from the boomers to the millennials, which is probably the predominant uh, succession pattern that takes place? What are the what yeah. are the triggers? So for me, and I, I think it could be that. And, and other things, but for me, and maybe it's because I'm, I'm writing and speaking and communicating on social media, oftentimes to that younger generation, I'm getting the younger generation coming to me and saying, hey, I saw your book, or hey, I was referred by another guy in like a peer group, and what I want to do is I want to take over the family business, and I feel like I need some leadership development. I need some help. I need a roadmap. I need I need someone to help me talk to my dad and and make sure that he's comfortable because like I don't want to upset things. So mm-hmm. well, I find that when it's the other way around, when the father's reaching out to me, it's usually Hey, you know, I'd like you to work with my son. I'm not sure he has what it takes. Mm -hmm. And I have questions about that. And could you work with him and see if he seems to have what it takes? Because there's a lack of of confidence uh, from the father to the son. And so I I see that as as common. Very rarely do I get called in by like a banker or a family member that says, you know, hey, we have someone who's really sick or just died and a, another family member is now in, in charge and doesn't really know how to run the business. I mean, so a banker many years ago called me into a company that was a large painting contractor where the, the, the man running the business passed away and the wife inherited it. And mm-hmm. Here she was sitting with a $20 million business. She didn't know how to run. So mm-hmm. You know, so there's all different reasons why someone might get called in. And oftentimes they just need, as you know, an outside perspective that has some like solidness to them in terms of experience and and can read the situation well mm-hmm. and help mm-hmm. them to get a roadmap or a plan to move forward. The companies you work with, I would uh, would uh, would assume, are interested in in uh, 
and and having you involved because they do want to perpetuate the business. Yes. Not because they. So these are people that want to continue in the business. They're not looking at alternatives. Well, we, I, we could go forward, or we could do this, or we could do that. Uh, they're pretty much committed to succession. Well, you know. So again, this is only the new focus of my business since 2020 or maybe mm. 2019. So. Mm. I'm still attracting entrepreneurs. I just got a call today from, it's not a family business, but the two boys that are running the business, um, one left the father's business and they're because they wanted to take the whole business and do it as an e-commerce company online mm -hmm. instead of a, like a wholesale distribution company that mm -hmm. was local. So that was disruptive. Mm -hmm. But I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why people contact me. I mean, a few years ago, I got contacted by an owner of a logistics and warehousing company, and he was hoping that we could put some new systems in place in his business because he was kind of burnt out. He felt like he was just working too hard and doing too much. Mm -hmm. And after six months of doing some work and some improvement, he just said, you know what? I'm not in love with this business anymore. I thought mm -hmm. we thought maybe he could fall in love with back in love with it. And he mm -hmm. said, I just I want to sell it. And uh, I brought in someone and nine months later, we sold it and freed him up to open up uh, um, an art gallery. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> well, that's a so, change. That's yeah, a change. no, it's a big yeah, change. Sure. You know, he yeah. was an air like he became an Airbnb host and an art gallery he wanted to mm -hmm. just be more free. And we mm -hmm. look, I mean, we sold it for like eight million dollars. So. It's a good chunk of change for most people. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. So um, uh, it's probably fair to say that not every company that that uh, that you try to help uh, succeeds in oh, using yeah. your advice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have any 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 feel for all the businesses you've worked with? Uh, you know what uh, what percentage of them haven't made it? That's a great question, and no, and I don't really know i mean we as consultants and coaches we try and focus on our success stories and yes. and amplify those stories but there's a lot of people honestly dennis that have come to me and maybe only did the minimum three months mm -hmm. and then just said you know like i'm gonna move on i'm gonna implement what you gave me or maybe some might even say i don't think this is a great fit or i wanted something different i mean you know and who knows where those people go. Uh, mm -hmm. um, there's companies many years ago that I worked with that I know went out of business. And mm -hmm. that's because we were running an economic development firm and we were offering free counseling and entrepreneurial training. And, you know, a lot of those businesses were those a statistic that they just didn't survive past mm -hmm. five or 10 years. Mm-hmm. I'm asking obviously a lot of questions about your about the companies you work with. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what are you finding in terms of uh, companies that are uh, in their succession? Their, their, the successor uh, is not the not the father, not the brother, uh, but the mother or the sister. Uh, in other words, a woman successor. How many how many of those situations are you seeing where the the candidate or the or the choice to succeed and continue the company is a woman? 
I mean, only one right now that I can think of that I worked with in the last five years. I, I think 80% or more of my clients are male. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, look, the construction industry is largely male. Mm-hmm. And I started, she was in the roofing uh, industry. And uh, her father started the company. And honestly, she jumped into the business to help her father because her father was an artist who really wanted to get back into the studio just doing art. I mean, the roofing was how he made his business, his living. And, mm-hmm. and he did it with his brother and they had a falling out. So they had two separate companies that were competitors in, the, in a small town. And the daughter came in to help save the business. And she was a school teacher, an administrator before that. So I don't see too many women entrepreneurs. The statistics aren't great for women. I mean, maybe more women are forming businesses than men these days, but uh, the dynamic, certainly in the construction industry and of companies that are five, 10 or more million dollars a year, nine out of 10 of them are run by men. Hmm. So it's my, my, and my reaction to that, my comment on that is the same as it always is. And I think that's, that's unfortunate. Um, So unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, women, well, women, I think, can be great business leaders because they're, they're emotional and maybe this is, I don't know if I have the data to support this, but typically their leadership styles, their emotional leader, their emotional intelligence is going to be greater and they are more inclusive. They're more team players. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know. all of that, all of that. So again, looking at your, at, at the, at your, your sample of of business owners that therefore if they're the the, the person at the, t- at the top of the business whether it's it's two or three people that work for them and that's the whole uh, the whole uh, corporate structure and then they've got a handful of crews working out in the field mm-hmm. or if it's a much or it's a larger concern when you get into the medium sized business um, what are the uh, what are the qualities that you see in in, in your clients leaders uh, that you can attribute to that, that it's because of this or this or this that they are succeeding. You know, what are the qualities of the successful uh, uh, leaders in your companies? Yeah, so, you know, it's a good question because I, I have this uh, dog-eared on my book, uh, page 34, on a list of 12 questions. The answers, which mostly, you know, mostly yes answers means that you're coachable. Mm-hmm. And so the types of questions that I'm asking, I think, are predictors of how successful the client that I'm working with is going to be. And it's about, you know, the questions are around approachability, receptivity, curiosity, humility, trustworthiness, mm-hmm. open mm-hmm. to learning, objective, um, not defensive, uh, asking, seeking out feedback, seeking out criticism, investing in their professional development. These are all characteristics of what I think are my best clients. Mm -hmm. I would argue they're probably your best clients as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Without those, then people are prone to, I remember it was T. Harv Ecker, the author of The Millionaire uh, Mind, I think. He said the three most dangerous words in the English language are, I know that. (laughs) <laughs> because when you say, I know that, you mm-hmm. stop all learning, mm-hmm. all um, possibilities, because you've already figured it out. And that's that's the opposite of listening. People yeah. who know how to listen are my best clients. 
Yeah. Know how to listen, I'm sorry, and also know how uh, to create a response that is like future focus, behavioral change focus, forward moving, you know, not just a listener and an, and an analyst who's, you know, thinking about why they behave a certain way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's how do I understand what was just said and how do I turn that into an actionable insight that I can move forward on? Mm-hmm. What is someone else saying and recommending to me that I can yeah. maybe learn from, implement, instead of saying, I know it. I know that already. I tried that yeah. already. That didn't work. Yeah. It's not going to yeah, work. I, I love those kind of people, you know. All right, so looking at just uh, the, the construction uh, industry uh, mm-hmm. clients that you have as a sample, um, uh, if you, as you as you look at them, what what are the what are the biggest problems that they say they're facing, and and they're seeking your advice or counsel on what what are the things that are are roadblocks or or things that they're tripping over right now in their yeah. businesses? Yeah. So I mean, one thing that they're tripping over is obviously profitability. Uh, another thing is growing their revenues. Um, another, I mean, the most common thing that you hear in service businesses, and this is not just post-pandemic or pandemic, this is this is like almost eternal, is finding really good quality employees, you know, finding the A players. How do, how do I recruit? How do I attract? How do I retain a, a players? I mean, most of them don't even know what an A player looks like um, mm-hmm. or, or never thought about it. And they're not equating that to profitability and revenue generation, which they should be because, right, uh, an A player team will execute much better than a B or C players and profitability will be proof in the pudding. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other thing that oftentimes people come to me is a lack of process. They don't know how to get themselves out of the trivial many things. They don't know how to delegate so they can elevate themselves. They they don't know how to get out of the weeds in their business. And so having a coach, a mentor, someone who will push them, take them out of their business for an hour a week or, you know, uh, a couple of days every quarter and have them start really thinking and planning out their business. This is, I think, super valuable to people. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I'm not sure I, if I grasped the question and answered it properly, but I'm I'm sure that you did, and okay. then you then you proceeded to answer it. So okay, I good. think we're I think we're in good shape so far, you know. So, what do you think as you look around uh, the landscape? What do you think uh, are the most challenging issues? Let's let's set aside uh, yeah. uh, the resource issue, the people issue, for a moment. Yeah. What are the other things that are causing difficulties or or difficult times for all kinds of business enterprises, particularly uh, a big, probably the lion's share of your customers, which are described or defined as being small businesses? Yeah. I don't think, I mean, there's so many elements here. So I just was talking about process, right? And the fact that they might not have good standard processes that would allow them to step away from the business and have the business continue to run itself in that person's absence, in the absence of their daily presence or daily problem solving. That's one thing. 
The other elements, I think, are, and we talked about the people, that's a major element. The other thing is having a plan, having a vision. Hmm. Where are you trying to take your business? What does it look like? What would it look like if it was 2 to 10x the size? Who would you have to be? How would you have to think differently if it's going to be 2 to 10x? Again, that gets back to the people. What players are you going to need? You know, what seats on an org charter are you going to have to add? And do you have the right people on the team in the right seats doing the right things? Mm -hmm. So those are really important. I think one of the things I've seen that really ignites companies is a clear purpose and a standard set of values that everyone adheres to. Because when people have a purpose, they'll work for a cause. And, you know, you might be that cause, but if it's a cause that's larger than themselves, then larger than the owner, that could be an amazing thing that can really transform a company because it can scale if it has a purpose. You know, just like people get together after an earthquake and they help each other out or after a, you know, a flood or a natural disaster, you know, everyone you know, extends a hand to their next door neighbor. So building that kind of teamwork by having a purpose that's greater than them. And some clients come to me because their performance just isn't that great. They're not hitting the profit targets that they could be. They're not making the kind of money that they want to be. They're not having the kind of freedom in their life. They, you know, maybe are a little bit of a prisoner to their business so those are some of the other elements in my playbook that I think are really important that people come to me for. Mm -hmm. I want to come back to the disruptive again. This just keeps kind of just coming back up. How do you know if your client is, you had your 12 questions mm -hmm. about being coachable. Mm -hmm. Separate and apart from that, when you engage with a prospective client, right? Do you use that set of questions to, to qualify them or do you look for other things in the way they express their thoughts or the way they serve up the need they've identified or ask you to help them understand what the need is that they should be talking to you about? How does that all work for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, as you ask the question, I'm asking myself in the back of my head, why don't I have these 12 questions as a sort of an opening you know, lead qualifier, if you will. Mm -hmm. Typically, I'm just listening to their communication to me and looking and listening for the response from them when I say something. And mm -hmm. I'm trying to get a sense of, are they approachable? Are they listening? Are they open to outside advice? But, you know, now having said that, so I'm trying to suss it out mm -hmm. in the course of a call to see whether, you know, have you worked with a coach before? How did that go? But I think that these questions make a lot of good sense and I ought to include mm -hmm. them in my lead qualification process. And I think you should give credit to me for igniting 100%. your... Absolutely. The Softest Steel podcast and author is the source of this. So exactly. Not, Just not the source of the questions, but no, the no, source no. of the, source the wisdom of, right. to ignite the questions. Exactly. John, the word. <laughs> that, and that's what we do. Like, you know, we as coaches, consultants, trainers, our job is to help push them to 
take advantage of what may be already in their grasp that they already have mm -hmm. that they're not leveraging. Yeah. You know, some of that knowledge and wisdom and because they're so busy in the trees, they can't see the forest. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes one of the reasons why people call you. Yeah. Call me. Agreed. Yeah. Good last thought. Our time is up, unfortunately. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. You know, and uh, I know our listeners will, too. Again, this is a conversation that, you know, the people that are dealing, you know, with transition need to listen to because they had a chance to hear an expert with a lot of experience. I'm sure this episode will get some good hearing, good listens from folks. So thanks very much for being with me today on the Softest Steel podcast. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Softest Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Softest Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Softest Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran.